0: Am I loud enough, too loud, whatever? Okay, good. I come to you this morning with thankfulness for having this opportunity, but also a little hesitant, if you will understand that. It's been over 30 years since I've served in the church. How many of you watch wrestling? (laughs) Anybody? Gosh, honey, we may need to find another church. <laughs> we watch wrestling, wrestling all the time because we like the soap opera, this behind the scenes. We like to laugh and have a good time. But we're also impressed with the entire concept of it because it's not real wrestling, but it's extremely athletic. And there's a term in wrestling called ring rust. That means that somebody has not wrestled for a long time or they're coming back from an injury. Today, I have to confess, I come to you with what's called pulpit rust. So just bear with me as I share. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we watch the news on TV, we listen to the radio, we read the paper. For those who still do that, for those of us who also look at our cell phones and read headlines, we hear our neighbors, our families and friends About everything that's going on in this world right now, it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to focus on the things that we simply can't control. We're being victimized in our minds and in our hearts by things we cannot do anything about. We witness the world in trauma, violence in the streets of our cities, rampant drug abuse, and we see that here locally. Abuse of women, of children, the elderly, and more. We watch as children and adults die from starvation and exploitation. We watch and listen as countries attack each other. Israel and Hamas, Russia and Ukraine. And if we really pay attention, there are smaller skirmishes all over this world that go on almost on a daily or weekly basis. And what is disheartening is many times it's in the name of God. We have become a culture that focuses on me instead of we. Over the years, we transitioned from a culture that wanted to do what was best for everyone to doing what was best just for me and excluding everybody else, pushing everybody else away. We have isolated ourselves from the world, and we've become cautious in our living. It just seems to be safer there. We're afraid to engage and be social like we used to be. Families live to each, uh, next to each other for years and don't know one another. They don't know anything about their neighbor. We've stopped trusting one another. We're defeated by criticism. Afraid to be bold. Afraid to try. Emotional damage and cultural discouragement shape so many people into the kind of people Jesus never intended them to be. God gets pushed aside because we're worried about what others think. Mike Weaver, who knows who Mike Weaver is? I knew I would see your hand go up. He's the lead singer of the Christian group Big Daddy Weave. And I just read his book, I Am Redeemed Learning to Live in Grace, and it says this, When I looked at myself... I hated the way I looked. I hated what I said. I hated what I did. And I hated who I was. He was dealing with his own self-loathing and anxiety, taking away his joy. And he was a lead singer in a Christian group. Believe it or not, Mother Teresa... While she walked this earth, she had doubts. She didn't think she was good enough. Didn't think she was suited for the kind of work she did. There were times in her memoirs we read where she even doubted that God existed. Because there was so much pain, so much suffering. So much strife, so much unwillingness to give to one another, to love one another, to share life with one another, and she worked in one of the most poor regions of the world. Life is daily. That's the thing about life. It's daily. It's hard. It can be arduous. It can be full of strife. This was never God's intention when he created the garden. The fall to sin opened the door for evil and demonic damage in this world. So many times people say, well, God, if you're real, why do you allow this? Well, God didn't create it. We did. From disobedience from the Father, or disobedience to the Father, I should say. The door was opened by our sin, by our doubt, by our misunderstanding of the the laws that God had put in place, and our stubbornness and refusal to listen. That's why we have the suffering we have. You know, atheists struggle with that. I spoke to atheists in my first year of philosophy class. I had a guest... um, atheists come and do a presentation and one of the things that they pointed out is God can't exist because he created all this evil and us Christians were gathered there to speak up and say no he didn't create it our stupidity led it through the door so Our joy gets taken away because of the way the world is. Our confidence erodes. Our very hearts become hard. And we believe that we are powerless to withstand the enemy. We turn to things that dull the senses and affect our minds in order to cope. Since COVID-19 became a reality, many churches have been forced to rethink how they function. Redesigning themselves in the interest of safety. I have friends back in the denomination I served who also mentioned they redesigned systems and policies in their church to avoid being sued. Churches have compromised their mission and their focus as a result. People don't hug or shake hands like they used to. They're not as warm, not as personal. Texts and emails have replaced face-to-face communications and phone calls. However, after the crisis just left, after it just calmed back down and life seemed to be a little bit more normal again, people just didn't return to church found other pursuits, other interests to take its place. And I think at, as Christians, we just simply have failed to remember who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. We get so caught up in the COVID crisis that we began to look at other things going on around us and in our world. The focus on God's work began leaning more toward focus on self and self-preservation. If you think about it, and you pray about it, and you meditate on it, you'll realize that's true. People bought into the package that the enemy threw at us. That it wasn't going to change, it was only going to get worse. That package includes fear, depression, anxiety, complacency, and most importantly, doubt. And that's dangerous. And those who have yet to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior hesitate because they see all this suffering taking place. And more than that, they see many of us who claim to be in that relationship with Jesus Christ faltering, doubting ourselves, doubting God, wondering what God's all about and what He's up to because there seems to be so many things going wrong. If you have your Bible with me, I encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons in God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that can't be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts know what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose." For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. These he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I'm going to take this apart for a few minutes. And I will go ahead and throw out uh, this um, little statement. This is just scratching the surface. I encourage you to take time to read this scripture and find out every piece of it that you can to understand that we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to be afraid. We have no reason to be worried. Various experts, scholars, psychologists, and pastors all agree. Suffering is the number one reason why people stop believing in God. That hits hard. And it puts me in a position, and it should put all of us in a position of wondering what we could be doing to help that situation. Suffering is the number one reason why people stop believing in God. Many believe that God, if He's real, has either died or is simply not caring anymore. And I believe and I offer to you that people just simply make the mistake of trying to apply human emotion and human reasoning to our almighty, all-powerful, and all Omnipotent God. We try to put human attributes on our Lord. And I will tell you, our minds are finite. We cannot fathom the love, compassion, the power, the knowledge of God. We just simply can't do it. All we can do is just simply try to apply our reasoning to God. We've missed the point. If that's all we know and all we have, there's no reason to have faith because if that's true of God, then God's not going to make any difference. Isaiah 55 and 8 says, "...for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord." For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So the first thing we need to do as disciples, first thing we need to do as believers is put that notion aside that God ought to be doing something about this. And if he's not, why isn't he doing what I want him to do? It just doesn't work that way. J.D. Greer, who is a pastor, author, and evangelist, offers the following three myths concerning the life of a Christian. Myth number one, if we live well, we can avoid suffering. In other words, if we get up early, at the same time each day, We do our exercises, we eat good healthy food, we stay away from fats and nitrates, we drink lots of water, we try to get a good amount of sleep, we try to maintain a positive attitude and we go through our lives just trying to do our best, we won't have problems. And I offer to you, I've read and heard this time and time again, rain falls on the just and on the unjust. Job was the most righteous man of his time. He was careful to observe laws and traditions. He repented when he stepped out of line, which was virtually never. He offered out offerings for his children when they had parties and gatherings, just in case one of those children did something they shouldn't have done. Yet he suffered mightily and horribly at the hands of Satan himself, whose intention was to have Job curse God, turn away from God, and die. Job lost everything he had. His body was subjected to terrible rashes, boils, and and terrible skin conditions. He lost his entire family. And in those moments when his friends came, I think he really wanted to lose them too. Even though God set Job's thinking straight in the end and totally restored all that Job lost, the fact remains that he suffered terribly and he was the world's most righteous and upright man at that time. Let's look at Paul's suffering and the suffering of Christians during his time. Paul was persecuted, beaten, and placed in prison many times. He had several health issues, including partial blindness and infections in his eyes, foot infections, skin infections. It also was believed at that time he had issues with his heart. Yet he wrote many books, sang praises in spite of the oppression and horrific ways he was being treated. Paul went further to write scripture we read today that offers us hope in this time of trouble. Even though he was beheaded in Rome after a very long imprisonment, he maintained that through Christ's sacrifice and resurrection, he was victorious and would share in the glory to come. Understand all of that while he had wonderful writing and encouraging and inspiring words, he suffered nonetheless. Christians of Paul's time... Were abused, tortured, and killed. At that time, the Roman emperor was Nero. Nero, being a Roman, was a monotheist, one who believed in many gods who controlled various aspects of their lives daily. Christians, on the other hand, believed in the freedom that salvation through Jesus Christ's sacrifice for the world would take care of them. Christians attributed the strength of their faith to an Almighty Father who was more than sufficient to meet all their needs. And that promise was forever sealed by the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. And that very seal itself was stamped forgiven when Jesus rose three days later. Nero made it a point to exploit and annihilate the Christian believers by having them attacked, torn apart, and eaten by wild animals in the Colosseum. They were also used as targets for practice by gladiators and mercenaries in the army in the Colosseum. Many were tied to straw and impaled and burned alive so they would provide lighting for the streets of the city. And lighting as well in Nero's palace gardens. The more and uh, defiant Christians who were strong and physically fit were pulled apart by horses, disemboweled, and beheaded. Martin Luther, the moving force behind the Protestant Reformation, was discouraged and suffered greatly. Despite his realization that grace through faith meant that no one had to work or pay for that grace, and that our faith in Jesus Christ's work on the cross was sufficient, he suffered from angina, gout, and leg ulcers. He was despised by many. The Catholic Church despised Luther for his reformed ideas because his belief threatened their way of life. The Catholic Church was very corrupt the Catholic Church benefited greatly because people felt they had to pay for forgiveness. But not only that, Martin Luther also left the Catholic Church where he had served as a monk and also married a wife who had been a nun and she renounced her beliefs in the Catholic Church. He was a wonderful theologian and he worked through the writings of the Apostle Paul to understand the Catholic Church was really wrong in their theology at that time. He wrote the 95 Thesis to proclaim just that very fact and nailed it to the doors of the Wittenberg Catholic Churches in protest. It was those moments where the Protestant Church was born. Martin Luther established early work and with God's help to establish a system that had beliefs that were not Catholic because the Roman Catholic Church was so terribly corrupt. What did he receive in turn for those efforts that told the world they didn't need to pay for forgiveness or pardon anymore? He was beaten. He was incarcerated. And he was eventually excommunicated from the Catholic Church. His health got worse until he died of a stroke at age 62. He suffered terribly despite his faith and beliefs. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. The righteous and the unrighteous. Being a Christian does not exempt us or protect us from suffering. No matter how well we live, how much we have, how much we do or who we know, we're not exempt from it. The fact remains that since we are mere mortals with feet of clay and so is everyone else around us, we are susceptible to harm and hate in an imperfect world full of imperfect people. Trusting Jesus and proclaiming Him as Lord basically paints a target on our backs that the enemy loves to shoot at. But we can also look at Chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What does that mean? We think we have it bad. We know of people who've had it worse. But that has no comparison to the glory we will receive because we have chosen to believe, because we have had faith that's unshakable, a will that is unshakable, a willingness to praise and live for God. That's a glory we have yet to even imagine how perfect it will be. And the good news is it doesn't last for just a little while, It lasts forever. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Yes, we suffer, but there's something better waiting. God never said it would be easy. But He did say in His Word that one day it would be glorious. We must remember that God keeps his promises. Our bodies are not our forever place. This world is not our home. God has wonderful plans for a purpose and a purpose for us here and now and in the time to come when we see him face to face. With a new and perfect and different body that doesn't feel pain, has no defects and a heart and mind that will finally understand God's nature and intentions. Until then, we wait, we pray, we never lose hope. Despite our hardships and our persecution, our hurts and our regrets, there is a day coming when sorrow and troubles will go away, where tears of pain and sorrow will turn into tears of joy, where death, disabilities, and suffering is simply no more. There's a hymn I used to sing in my home church and it's from the 1930s. And no, I'm not that old. It's entitled When Jesus Comes to Reign." There is a refrain that comes in there and it says, Sorrow and sighing shall flee away, shall flee away that glory day and the Garden of Eden restored that day When Jesus comes to reign, we have to hold on to that. The bullets may fly, the disease may run rampant, but we have to believe in someone who is higher than I. Myth number two suffering indicates that we are in sin. Think about the blind man that Jesus healed. And some of his disciples asked, Rabbi, was it their parents who sinned or did he sin that caused him to be blind? Well, the man had been blind since birth. So, how would the the man himself be able to commit sin? Did he do something wrong in the womb? It made no sense. I have a story I want to share. I promise I won't be long-winded, okay? Many years ago when I became licensed to preach, I was in a licensing school program. All the education had been done and, and we just needed to be licensed by the Commonwealth of Virginia. And there was a training course that lasted about a week. And we had to have that done before we could be uh, turned out, I had a friend, actually two friends, Wayne and Skip. Now, we were all big boys, okay? Uh, I was about 100 pounds heavier than I am now, and they were too. So you had the offensive line for the Baltimore Ravens right there in that little group. All of us were tipping the scales of 340, 350. But we found kinship in one another and we would rib one another. Uh, Anyway, Wayne came one morning with this grin on his face and we sat down at breakfast and Skip sat next to me and I said, What are you grinning about? And he said, I had a dream last night. He said, I had a dream that Skip and I had died. And he said, We were going to heaven. I said that wouldn't make me smile you know <laughs> you, you, you died but he said anyway we went up to heaven and Peter was there waiting on us and Peter was going to show us the ropes everything around in heaven that we needed to see so he opened the gates and Skip and I went in and he said there was this immense building right there, just past the gates. He said, you couldn't see it until the gates opened. And we were looking at the corner of that building. And at the corner on each side, each end of it, there was a set of doors. And we asked what that was. And Peter said, oh, that's the way we monitor the sins people commit we gather there and watch as people sin. So we're able to track that and monitor that for the day they come before the Lord. We have an accurate record. So Skip and Wayne both said, well, we, we want to see that. So Peter took them inside and once they went inside, as far as they could see, there were little walls about this high all the way through it. And on the walls, there were attached meters. The meter had one arrow. That arrow would move slightly sometimes. And you'd look at another one and be moving a little faster. Some of them wouldn't be moving at all. And Wayne said, well, how does this work? And Peter said, well, How it works is this way. He said, for every sin you commit, that needle moves slightly. And it keeps count. So they looked at each other and they grinned. They said, we got a buddy that's still left behind. His name is Michael. And they said, we'd like to know how he's doing. So Peter said, come with me. Got my last name, started going down the aisles back and forth. And Peter said, hey, it's not here. Why isn't it here? So he got on his radio and called the superintendent and he said, we're looking for the sin meter from Michael Desper. Do you happen to know his whereabouts? And he said, yes, I, I know exactly where it's at. And Peter said, why isn't it out here? And the superintendent said, well, we took the cover off of it and we're using it here in the office as a fan. (laughs) I like to think I don't sin that much. Suffering indicates that we're in sin. I offer to you uh, chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it to hope. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Let's get back to Job's story of suffering. God made it abundantly clear that Job's suffering was not because he had sinned or because he had stopped being a righteous man. Job's suffering happened because Satan wanted to create such a terrible life situation for Job that he would turn away from God, that he would curse God and become disillusioned with God. Think about what I said a few minutes ago. There are people in this world who do live a godly life. And things happen to them. And I truly believe that the enemy hopes with all his might that these people get upset and they turn away from God. That they lose faith, they lose hope. We see this also in so many people's lives who simply refuse to believe in God because it's never worked out for them. They've looked to God as somebody who answers what they tell them to do. And that's just not the way God works. God allows these events to happen in our lives so that we can turn to Him. It's just that simple. So we can become stronger for having suffered. So we can experience Him working in our lives. So our faith increases. We develop a deeper understanding of the nature of God and learn how to trust more deeply so we can be more like Jesus. That's God's intent. Iron sharpens iron. We begin to get stronger we begin to understand more. After all, being more like Jesus is what we're here for. The same God who made us and called us good is the same Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He desires the most closest relationship He can have with us. He wants our trust and desires us to be close enough to Him that we run to Him in our need, not run away because we're mad. God, who loved us so much that He sent Jesus to this world that we may have hope when we suffer. And then, when temptation seems so overwhelming and spiritual defeat seems imminent for us, we remember whose we are. Jesus came to live among us, He experienced temptation. He came among us to live a life that identified with our anguish, our failings, our imperfections, our loneliness. He lowered himself to be in human form, to experience the pain of being judged and misunderstood, to be ridiculed, to be mocked and tortured, and finally to die on a cross in our place. Yet he never sinned. Jesus suffered more than anyone else ever had, but He never sinned. That immediately tells us suffering indicates that we have sinned because Jesus never did. Jesus, who suffered the suffering we deserved, who died on the death on the cross for us, walked this earth as a perfect, sinless human being. And God demonstrated his ultimate love for us in the earthly life and death of Jesus Christ. Myth number three. We will always find the silver lining behind a dark cloud. How many of us have ever heard that? Raise your hand. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. God never said it would be easy. Picking up in chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, Romans has been called perhaps the greatest book in the Bible. Some say chapter 8 is the greatest chapter found in the book of Romans. I say that sometimes Romans 8 is the most ill-quoted and misunderstood chapter of the Bible. I think that these passages are read and interpreted with the best of intentions, but the fact remains that some people simply do not understand what Paul is saying here. Sometimes pain, anguish, and damage remain after something has happened to us or someone we know. Sometimes God's answer is simply no. Remember Isaiah 55? When I had cancer... We certainly didn't expect it. No one ever does. And it had reached stage four. And I'm thinking, what did I do? What didn't I do? What did I do or say that caused this to happen to me? I don't understand Lord I, don't, I, I just don't understand he told me I was close to death more than once and I said Lord I tried to do everything I was supposed to do I don't understand I'm a good man not perfect but I'm, I'm a good man I've told some of you this, and it was something I saw, but I've come to realize over the years now it wasn't something that was actually there, it was a vision. It was truly a vision. I laid there in the hospital bed, and I had tubes sticking out of me everywhere. And I laid there and watched as three small children walked down the hall very slowly. They all had cancer. That's why they were in that area of the hospital. One had lost his leg. Another one had lost an eye. And something I had never seen, and I don't even know if it exists. Each one of them was pulling an IV tower behind them that was about that tall. They had bags of all kinds of medications on those towers, and they wanted to go play. They were playing, they were giggling. They looked in my room and just like that, just like that. And they went on down the hall and I could hear them giggling and all of a sudden I heard one of them take off and run and pulling that little IV tower as hard as they could and you could hear it squeak and roll down the hall. And a voice said to me, You're my child too. They're dying. Tell me why you're worried. Tell me why you don't trust me. And I near fell apart. And I realized God had me. He had me the whole time. And I was hanging on to the promises that Romans said here. The Holy Spirit himself was praying for me. The Holy Spirit himself was praying for those children. And then the realization came... Live or die, I win. Live or die, I win. You and I need to understand something, and that is this. Through this life, no matter what kind of sufferings there are what kind of situations we may face, what kind of doubts we may have, live or die if we trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we attribute our faith to God Almighty, live or die, we win. David was a man after God's own heart and with God's help he defeated Goliath. David was anointed king over Israel yet also he committed adultery with Bathsheba. sent her husband Uriah out in front of the army to be killed and then ended up marrying Bathsheba. And they had a child. And as a result of his disobedience, a child died. By his own sins and dishonest actions, David had to learn very tough lessons about life and about God's very nature. And while God still loved David, their relationship had changed. Restoration had taken place, but God just didn't fix and restore something to exactly the way it was for David He had committed adultery and had committed murder. Things would just not be the same. And do you know that's the very same story for us? Verse 28 does not say that God just automatically restores our situation just like it was before because that's what we want. And that's what we pray for. God gives us lessons to learn not because He's a mean God, but because He loves us and He wants us to grow in Him, to grow in faith, to become more like Jesus. Things happen. Situations go beyond anyone's control. Sometimes stuff just can't be replaced or easily fixed. As I said before, we're mortals with feet of clay making mistakes, forgetting who we are, and most importantly, whose we are. Yet the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself prays for us. A lot of people think Jesus did his work on the cross. He died, allowed himself to give up his spirit to pass from this earth, to go into a tomb and rise three days later, and he was done. That's not the case. Jesus works works with us, and on our behalf for us every day. Jesus is very much alive and well. The Holy Spirit is very much alive and well. His work didn't stop in the upper room in Acts. He's with us all the time. I truly believe that God knows what we will do how we think, how we feel. And I believe those intercessory prayers by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus Christ focus more on teaching us, strengthening us, sustaining us, sharpening us like iron on iron. The hurt remains. The memories will remain. What happened in our lives remains, but we learn We get stronger in the spirit. Our hearts get a little bigger. Our compassion grows. We learn to trust more. We hope with with a deeper knowledge that suffering isn't going to be forever. We gain practical knowledge on how to pray for and care for one another. And we're right in the middle right now, I believe, brothers and sisters. We're learning how to live life beyond COVID-19. We know that there will be a time to come when we will go to that place that's really our home because it ain't here. We become more like Jesus. Yes, the relationship may change for God and you and me, but I really trust and I hope that that relationship grows deeper, better, wiser, and closer. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful that you love us in spite of ourselves. If we had to depend on what we needed to do to make things right, we wouldn't make it. God, we truly need you in spite of what we think we can do, of what we think we have, in spite of our pride. We need you. And Lord, we pray right now that if there is anyone here that has yet to lay their burden down, If something is troubling them and they're struggling with where you stand in it and where your influence is in it, and perhaps even if you really exist, Lord, we pray that your Spirit move them to come pray. To lay it at your feet. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here who has yet to know you, Lord, we pray that you come send them here to pray and lay their burdens at your feet. Because you've promised us that it wouldn't be easy, but one day it will indeed be glorious. And we pray for that day to come soon. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.